Hi, and welcome to Spike Tape, the podcast where we talk all things theater and theater education with the people who know it best. I'm your host, Anna Bursowski. In case you missed our preseason background episode, I'll tell you a little bit about me and Spike Tape. Again, my name is Anna Brasowski. I'm a sophomore in high school, and while I know there are a ton of podcasts about theater already out there, I wanted to create something that I, a 15-year-old self-described theater nerd, would try to seek out myself. I'm surrounded every day by young people in the arts, and I thought it might be interesting to see how theater education has impacted the lives of people who have actually made it in such a difficult industry. That's how Spike Tape really came about. We'll be talking to professionals from across the theater community about their work and their influences in future episodes, so make sure you subscribe. But today, with our inaugural episode, we'll be talking to Serge Seiden, an award-winning director, teacher, and co-founder of the Mosaic Theater Company in Washington, D.C., who has a pretty unique perspective on theater education and how it's changed over the past two decades. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Spike Tape. So thank you so much for joining me. In researching for for this interview, I discovered that you have like an incredibly interesting uh, path to where you ended up. So I guess we'll start super early. So I, a, a lot of our, our listeners are students. So what were you interested in as a student, as like a high school or college kid? In high school, I was in the chorus and um, we had a, a wonderful drama program, although very rudimentary, because I went to, went to a very small um, Quaker high school in Maine that only mm-hmm. had 25 kids in my graduating class. So it was a very small school, and it had, you know, soup can um, lighting instruments. Um, uh, but we did, we did some fun stuff, and we had wonderful teachers. So I got really inspired to do theater when I was in high school. So it was always something that you were trying to pursue? Well, no, I wouldn't say I was trying to pursue it. Actually, there's one funny story is before that, when I was in elementary school um, in in Maine, in a very small town, they had a thing called the Tri-Town Speaking Contest. And we had to memorize speeches and then perform them in front of the parents. And then we got trophies if we won. So the first year I lost and I got really um, competitive. So the next year I, I did, um, uh, all the world's a stage, of you know, a Shakespeare monologue and I got the first prize and then I had to get the first prize again. So I guess I always liked, um, I, I got into it maybe from that moment, like that there was something fun about getting up in front of people and talking. Yeah. And so you went to, you went to college for political science. Well, I, I didn't go to college for political science, but that's what I ended up majoring in. I had no idea what I was going to do when I went to college. And so how did you end up in D.C.? Um, the first job that I got in D.C. was as a mail clerk and chauffeur for uh, a U.S. senator from Maine, George Mitchell, in 1985. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, moved down here to take that job working at the U.S. Senate. Got it. Was there, was there a first thing that you saw that made you know you had an interest in theater? Was there like some sort of eye-opening moment as a kid or as a teenager? Yep. Um, that, I think that's fairly typical for people. My, 
my parents were divorced uh, when I was eight. And um, my sister and I used to go down to New York to visit my dad. And he would always um, treat us to Broadway shows. And my grandparents would take us to see shows in, in New York as well. And um, mm -hmm. one show in particular was uh, the Circle in the Square Theater, which is a small uh, off-Broadway theater. Um, we, My grandparents took us to see uh, the musical, a very silly musical called Where's Charlie? And it starred the, the actor Raul Julia, who became much more famous after that. Um, and there was a scene in which he, he's singing a, one of the songs called Once in Love with Amy, and he's on a swing that's hanging from the grid. And the theater was so small that um, my sister was captivated when it looked like Raul Julia actually, you know, winked at her, you know, for, as he was performing. And yeah. as I observed that moment of interaction between, you know, this actor and my sister, I was very, um, it, it really stuck with me and, you know, made me really uh, admire the whole experience. That's incredible. So you ended up in DC working in the Senate. Um, how did you go from from Capitol Hill to graduating from from the Studio Theater Acting Conservatory over the course of like four years? Well, so um, I was living in Adams Morgan in a basement apartment and commuting to Capitol Hill every day and opening the mail and and um, signing the senator's name on the bottom of letters and stuffing envelopes and driving him to the airport. And yeah. uh, I was very bored. I mean, I like, it was interesting, but I wasn't, um, it wasn't what I, I knew that it wasn't something that I wanted to do forever. You know, um, mm -hmm. I admired the people who had stuck to working in politics, but, and, and you know, the people that I was working with, I thought that they were valiant, you know, they, they really had, um, a great ethos and we're really trying to do good things. Um, but I, I had, I still had this interest in the arts that I wanted to pursue. I had also, um, in, in college, I sang in an acapella octet, which also traveled all around. And, um, we, we had a lot of fun together performing. And so that little bug of performing was still, was still, uh, squirreling around inside me. And, um, it turned out that my upstairs neighbors in, in the group house above my basement apartment um, were actors and they were studying at Studio Theater. And after about six months, I finally got up the courage to sort of say hi to them. And um, they said, oh, well, why don't you go and uh, usher and see a show at the theater where we hang out, you know, Studio Theater, go over there. And so I... I, I called and I signed up to Usher to see a show for free. And um, the show was Landscape of the Body by John Guare. And um, I still remember it vividly. And the main character is a, is a, well, not the main character, but one of the characters is a boy from Bangor, Maine. And so it was such a bizarre coincidence that really stayed with me. And yeah. then I found out from Studio Theater that they have acting classes and I signed up to take a class. And uh, I, I flunked the first class and had to repeat it. I, even though I had taken acting classes in college, I thought I knew everything, but actually it turned out I really didn't know much at all. 
And um, once I discovered the rigor of, of the studio theater acting conservatory and the teachers and the other students and the sort of world, I just got hooked. And I, I just stayed there, stayed taking classes and I started auditioning. And, um, and uh, that, that's how my relationship with studio theater began. And you've been on the faculty of the conservatory there for how long now? Ooh, um, 25 years. And is it still the same? I mean, you, you've been there for the reemergence of 14th Street as like a, a place to be. Um, what has that evolution been like? Well, it's kind of interesting. When I started taking classes there, um, the neighborhood was lively, um, but in a kind of derelict sort of way you know there it was definitely home to to a lot of people um but it was it, it wasn't economically thriving at all um right and it was um but it was it was a it was it was still fun you know it, it was yeah it was still fun and um then studio theater grew um, it, it, for all kinds of reasons, but grew in and expanded and expanded its footprint. And at the same time, um, the city was getting an influx of, you know, middle income and higher income people moving in and they needed more space. And then Whole Foods took over a space that was... Uh, and an old um, automobile repair school space was torn down and they built that, you know, flagship Whole Foods. Yeah, that giant space across the street. Yeah, and, and that, with Studio Theater on the corner of 14th and P and Whole Foods across the street, it was sort of like the tipping point for developers who started to, you know, gobble up every available building. Um, and... Um, what what it's like now is it's 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 unrecognizable you know you can the neighborhood has no there's almost nothing left of the, of what it was like except for yums you know the takeout restaurant where we always used to get french fries that place is still there um but pretty much everything else is is gone and and nobody who's there now has a memory of what it was like before so it's a kind of an odd thing um um, I've, I'm shocked that I'm old enough to have lived through that, uh, big of a shift in economics, um, in a neighborhood. Yeah. I, it's, it's kind of shocking to me. <laughs> That's so interesting. I mean, so you went from Capitol Hill to studio theater and then, um, talk to me about the Mosaic Theater Company, which like is so, I guess, instrumental in in like what's going on on the theater scene in DC today? Um, Mosaic, uh, I'm, I'm really thrilled and, and, and challenged um, to, have, to have this shift in my career at this point. It, it's, um, I've always thrived on challenges and change. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why I enjoyed working at studio for so long was because it's, trajectory was upward and, and expansive. And, um, 
but mosaic is has become a new kind of challenge for me both personally and professionally it's i'm for professionally i'm i've i've shifted my focus for the time being in some ways away from um directing plays to trying to work on managing an organization um right and that's an area where I had observed and participated at a certain level at studio, but I, but I was not responsible for it. And now I'm, I, I have responsibility for managing basically a small business with a, you know, two and a half million dollar budget and 13 full-time employees and producing eight plays. And, you know, it's, it's a lot, um, uh, from a managerial point of view. Um, you know, I, I, right before you know we were talking i was on the phone with our board of directors finance committee for an hour talking about you know lines of credit and um the audit and cash flow and um ticket sales projections you know and and so that that's that's i was also an economics minor in in college so for me it's sort of in a way going back to you know my other interests you know in in some ways um uh, so, so that part's really fun and challenging, but maybe much more importantly than that, uh, Mosaic's mission, um, which is to, I guess not, I don't want to, we, we hesitate to call it a social justice theater because our action, you know, we're not actively trying to change society, you know, through, through political means, but we're trying to create an environment in which, which um, many different kinds of people from different kinds of backgrounds can have an artistic experience together and can uh, have an opportunity in a safe space to engage with each other. And it's, it's one of the rare um, experiences in our, you know, continually more, um, atomized society where, you know, people come together and they can talk uh, after sharing an artistic experience. And, you know, so in a small way, we hope we're contributing to a better society that way. Um, You know, I don't want to get too highfalutin about it. It's, you know, but I, I think that what we bring to when people are coming to Mosaic now and they're experiencing this, this, I guess we like to call it a fusion community. And mm-hmm. I think they feel hopeful. They feel, um, maybe they feel a little emboldened, you know, to to speak up about ideas that they hadn't maybe voiced before. And, and they go back and can feel um, that there, there, is a, there, there is a way to resist and there is a way to, um, uh, not feel crushed by, you know, all of the, the forces that seem to be going against progress. Yeah. And so you said something about like coming back to your, um, your earlier passions or interests from when you were in school. Do you think there's any connection between your interest in politics or your interest in economics and your passion for theater and how you ended up pursuing a career? Uh, I think they're two kind of parallel interests in a way. Um, 
I, I don't, I think that where they come together at Mosaic is that, you know, I have a son who's African-American. And so for me, working in um, this theater does bring together the personal and the political in that sense, you know, that I feel like my, my work here is my little tiny contribution to trying to make a better world for him. You know I mean? And so in that sense, the political and the artistic are coming together, but um, I don't want to, I don't want to over, you know, uh, you know, be, be too grandiose about it. it. It's, it's still something that's a, a passion, you know, theater is still a passion of mine. So there's a little bit of selfishness just to, to keep working in the theater and doing this is a great privilege. So right. I don't want to over, overstate the, overstate the case about, you know, what we're, what we're accomplishing, but, you know, I do think it's, it's better than doing something bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not doing evil, you know, it's trying to improve things. So that's good. Yeah. So as, I mean, you are a leader in two of the most prominent theater companies in DC, both studio and mosaic. Are there any trends? And you started with um, like theater education um, at at studio as a student, are there any trends that you've seen in theater education? And is there a place where you think theater education should be going in general? I think the, the greatest thing that's been happening in, in, you know, in our arts culture in general, and that includes in, in, you know, arts education is, is inclusion, diversity, equity, and access, which are, you know, the things that are really important to Mosaic. I, I think they are finding those values, those those principles are finding their way slowly but surely into the arts, and it's really, really important. Um, it's changed those those ideas have really changed um, so much, even in my teaching, in my talking to students, in the way I approach my work with them. I have because I've started to absorb this, this sort of cultural shift, um, I think it makes, it makes a, a much more exciting and open, um, like educational experience when you're conscious of making sure that people who perhaps, like for example, people who might not have been speaking up in class, you know, that you're aware of all the dynamics that are working against people having a, a say at the table that they, that you actively are, are creating space for those people. Um, and, uh, that's like one small example or, or making sure that let's say even in looking for the scenes that students get to work on, um, that there's enough variety and diversity in the scenes that people can have, can feel that they're represented, you know, and that they're not having to compromise at every turn in terms of how they're going to represent themselves. Um, right. Those are issues that we probably didn't think about too much, um, you know, 10 years ago, but, uh, and also, for example, um, in, in the world of like the me too movement, how, um, how gender plays out in, an educational setting and making sure that, you know, in acting class that, um, that women's voices are heard in the conversation about, you know, how, how they're going to rehearse a scene, you know, um, uh, 
so that there's safety in that, you know, creating a safe environment has a new and more important place in um, consciousness of teachers, I think. So is that something that you're, um, you're actively trying to think about as, as you teach and as you direct shows across the city? Yeah, I de- definitely. Um, for sure. That's, it's actively in my mind all the time. I and mean, even last night in Shakespeare class, you know, I mean, th- those things come up. It's like, how are you, how are you living by those principles, by those values of, of, in- of inclusion, you know, diversity, equity, access? Yeah. I saw a show at Mosaic a couple, it had to be a couple years ago about the Rwandan genocide. Oh, yeah. And um, it like, and my entire school went and it was, a something we were learning about in English class and through history. And it, it really spoke to like what theater could be for young people and what arts could be as a as a teaching and learning tool. And that that was like that was really interesting to me. And so um, I really love what what you at, at Mosaic are doing with that. Is there anything that is uh, that is coming down the pike for you? Um. Right now, the most exciting thing for me is Shakespeare class in terms of directing and teaching. Um, I adore teaching Shakespeare and to watch the watch the students as they discover the poetry, which which I really find has a universal appeal once people get past their fear, you know, or their um, misapprehensions about, yeah, about Shakespeare because of all of its baggage. But once they get into it and they allow it in, it's quite beautiful to watch. So we have final scenes coming up in February for that. But, um, the other from, from Mosaic, um, we have a show opening in a couple of weeks called Oh God, and which is our one of our only shows that's like a comedy, but it's coming up and it's it's quite wonderful, um, and I think we'll have a lot of appeal. We just finished an incredible run of the Agitators about the relationship between Susan B. Anthony and Frederick Douglass, and that just I was really thrilled at how the audiences responded to the show because it seemed so current it was kind of both shocking and wonderful to see how these, the spirit of these two, like these two agitators was being carried on by, you know, um, Christine Blasey Ford and, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter. I mean, you know, these, these issues, which these two um, individuals from 150 years ago were dealing with, we are still challenged. You know, this is an ongoing thing. And people, I think, were identifying with this, the struggle, you know, in a, in a beautiful way. It was quite a successful production. I'm glad. That's, I mean, that is something that I feel like everybody is talking about in schools nowadays. So the fact that it's on stage is really quite fantastic. So what it, going back to, like, the very beginning of our conversation, um, if you could go, pretty standard question, but if you could go back and tell either your high school or your college or a younger version of yourself, something knowing the things, you know, now based on your career with mosaic and studio and, um, and the Hill, what would it be? I guess the reality is that, and I, that, that, um, a theater life is, 
is uh, requires a lot of resilience and persistence. And um, you, you just have to, uh, you have to work really hard and, you know, it's, it's not, um, but, but there's a lot of pleasure in the work. I guess it's similar to the kinds of things that I would, that I've talked about in auditioning class, you know, when I'm teaching an auditioning class sometimes, which is that a life in the theater can crush you because it's, you know, we're, we're working in an industry which is underappreciated, you know, from a financial point of view. We're all living in this um, culture where urgency and uh, pressure and getting things done and making money is so much a part of our mindset that it's hard to make space for art. And um, what happens in auditioning class, you know, people are like, they get they get disappointed too easily. You know, I have a friend, actually the woman who lived upstairs from me when I, when I, when I said, I told that story about how, um, you know, I, I asked them upstairs about where, where they were acting and they told me about studio theater. That woman, Isabel Keating just finished, um, a long run on Broadway in Wicked. You lived under Isabel Keating? Yeah. That's who. That is amazing. <laughs> but Isabel, um, was a student at Studio Theater Acting Conservatory, and she was in several shows during that time. Um, and you know, she the, the she's like an example to me of of the kind of persistence that's required. When she decided to move to New York, she was there for sixteen years before she you know had a career. It it she had to right. you know find 16 years she had to like survive 16 years of struggle before she got to be you know who you when you say isabel keating you know there was a long period before that where she had to really just keep the spirit and the the hope going you know and work really hard at it so persistence um and hard work. And then what, I guess the challenge is how do you maintain that spirit? I, I don't know. That's probably different for every person, but you gotta, not, you gotta be careful not to lose the original impulse of why, you know, why you enjoyed it and, and how, how, how can you keep reinvigorating that, um, love and, and openness and, um, vulnerability because you, you went, once you get that first job, you're still going to need all those things at your disposal. And if you let, the rest of the world kind of crush you, um, maybe that won't be accessible anymore. So you really have to find balance. Yeah. I mean, that seems, that seems like a really lovely place to stop, but I want to ask you one more question based on your last answer, which is how have you maintained that spirit? How have you over a decades long career in the theater, how have you kept it invigorating? Hmm. Maybe it's that ultimately I, love people. I, I love working with people and learning from people, the students that, you know, it's funny in acting class, you know, you teach the same scenes over and over and over again, like especially in Shakespeare, you know, there's only so many scenes that you use in the class, but every single time I teach Romeo and Juliet, I just, can't help just loving whatever happens in class. And it's different, you know, each time. Um, uh, and that, that enjoyment of the diversity of experience, like 
not letting it feel stale, but instead rejoicing in um, the little pleasures, you know, the, the small discoveries. Um, every time you learn something new, you being open, I, I guess that's it. I'm not sure if that's just like part of my personality or something that I've cultivated, but maybe, or maybe it's just a coping mechanism, you know, but that that's, um, I guess that's, that would be my answer. Well, that is a darn good one. That seems like a really, really great place to stop. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. It's my pleasure, Anna. I really appreciate it. Um, and I look forward to seeing uh, what comes next for Studio and for Mosaic and for you. I look forward to seeing what happens with you, Anna. Well, thank you, Serge. Thank you very much. You're so welcome. Thank you. And that is it for our first episode of Spike Tape. Our episode today was produced and edited by me with music by Lila Fritz. Jeremy Brasowski designed our logo with digital art by Noah Brasowski. A huge thank you to Serge Seiden for being an incredible first guest, along with Mamona Haddish, Sam McQuaid, Dean Harris, and Caitlin Hummel for being my pre-edit listeners. And a huge thanks to you for giving a brand new podcast a shot. I hope you learned a little something. Find more of us at spike.tape on Instagram or spiketape.net where you can find the rest of this mini season. I'm Anna Brasowski. Until next time with more from Spike Tape.